Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 273, where we interview Surgify, Dr. David Roney, and talk about starting out with no privilege. Because one, I don't look like everyone else. I don't talk like everybody else. I don't walk like everyone else. And I have a different background and I'm pretty competitive, right? So I, I got used to people telling me that you weren't going to do well, that you weren't make going to make it. And so I learned how to fight back. And I always ask the question, why not? Why can't I do it? Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and joining me today as guest host is Doug Cunnington, host of the Mile High Five podcast. Doug, tell us a bit about your show. Carl, your husband, and I talk about personal finance and other topics related to life after corporate jobs. And that goes into lifestyle topics, side hustles, some FI topics, and we honestly go on a lot of tangents. So there's side conversations all over the place. And we're actually doing a lot more sort of long form interviews with awesome people like yourself, Mindy. And some of them go on for over an hour. We've also talked to JL Collins. Alan and Katie Donegan, and we've even recorded a live panel with Mr. Money Mustache, Alan, and Carl. Yeah, your show is a super fun listen while also sharing financial insights. I really like it. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day of uh, recording with Carl to record with me. Doug and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Doug, today's guest is a Naval Academy graduate, a two-sport NCAA Division I athlete. He's an applied mathematician, a cryptologist, a cybersecurity specialist, and a robotic general surgeon all before the age of 35. Yeah, me too. With this kind of pedigree, you would assume that he had everything handed to him and you would not be more wrong. David Roney grew up financially insecure and for a period of time lived in a car with his mother and brother. He's now using his voice and his success to democratize financial literacy and information because he also truly believes financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Yeah, I'm super excited to hear David's story and just get the full rundown. Yeah, I really like his story. I really like the way that he is so easily tells it. Um, he's had a lot of things thrown at him and his attitude of, I don't have any other option but to succeed is not one that everybody shares. And I don't think that he pats himself on the back enough about that. I think he is amazing and I cannot wait to bring him in to tell his story. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. David Roney from Certify, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited. I'm a big fan of Bigger Pockets. Oh, thank you. David Roney is a robot surgeon. So you do uh, surgery on robots? Well, no, it's more like <laughs> I use a robotic platform. You know, it's a great uh, opening and sort of icebreaker. Because that's immediately what people say, like, oh, you're a robot surgeon. Do you like operate on robots? Not. Nah, I use the intuitive DaVinci platform to uh, do surgery in a minimally invasive way with smaller incisions, better precision, uh, better vision. Right. In order to give patients a better outcome. I should be a, a freaking rep for intuitive talking like that. Right. It's just, you hey, should be. Play, so pay me affiliate money. Yeah, you know <laughs> reach out and I'll connect you intuitive. There you go. <laughs> okay, so let's start off with your money journey. Where do you consider your journey with money to begin? So I, I'm different than a lot of people. My, my money journey starts off from trauma, right? So like I grew up and the first, my first money memory you can say is really of my mom bouncing checks in order for us to eat, right? So I grew up super, super humble beginnings, including having to live in a car for a a significant period of time with my brother and my mom and her abusive boyfriend. And we ate Burger King Whoppers for every meal when they were two for a dollar. We then went to a homeless shelter and I've always had a, a scarcity sort of mentality with money where I've had to learn how to conserve and save and to survive, right? And so uh, my money journey is still ongoing. I'm still healing from that trauma, but it's a traumatic one to start with. So when did things start to turn around? Obviously, you have a very 
sort of impressive background if we look through your resume and that sort of thing. So yeah, can you walk us through sort of the journey from the humble beginnings, as you mentioned, to maybe not where you are today, but maybe through, you know, through college or so to give us an idea how that journey went? Well, you know, it's like I say, this was not necessarily intentional on my part. It was a series of steps on just trying to survive. Um, when you grow up in poverty, especially looking the way I look in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, um, you don't you get counted out a lot. Right. So like people didn't encourage me to go to college. I didn't even know I was smart to like really almost about nine, 10 years ago. And I, I sort of just continued to just try and get to the next step, get to the next rung in the ladder. So when we left the homeless shelter, my mom, who was uh, God rest her soul, uh, bipolar, uh, as well as a, a bad diabetic, she would go in and out of the hospital. So like we spent a lot of times, me and my brothers with random strangers living on their couch or living in random houses in order to just get by. Um, eventually, I started to grow a little bit and I came into my own as a basketball player and I started getting recruited and I managed to make it to the United States Naval Academy on an academic or athletic, whatever type of scholarship you want to call it. But I was a recruited athlete to come play basketball there. Um, that was a, a life changing moment for me because the only reason why I went there is because they guaranteed me how much money I can make in four years when I was done. Right. And so when they're talking, when you're telling a kid that is struggling just to buy clothes, pay tuition for uh, the private school I had to go to in order to even graduate high school on time, right? Um, telling them that, hey, you know, I can give you this guaranteed money. Anything looks good, right? My mom never made more than $24,000 in a single year in her entire life. And here I am, they're telling me, oh, yeah, you can make $42,000, $45,000 right out of college. I thought I was going to be rich. So that gave me a, a launch pad to sort of take care of my family. And I, that was the whole thing was I made my grandmother a promise that I was going to take care of my mom and my brother. And so I just kept fighting towards that, fighting towards that, inching a little bit further. Once I got to the academy, I started to, that blinders right? Because the uh, ignorance is bliss, right? I don't know anything outside of what's in front of me. So the blinders start to come off a little bit uh, because one, I don't look like everyone else. I don't talk like everybody else. I don't walk like everyone else. And I have a different background and I'm pretty competitive, right? So I, I got used to people telling me that you weren't going to do well, that you weren't going to make it. And so I learned how to fight back. And I always ask the question, why not? Why can't I do it? Right? So I got to the academy, and I started looking around because I, I validated some very hard courses. And then I got to take a class biology uh, as a freshman, as a plebe. And I'm looking around. There's like juniors and seniors in there. And the professor asked, well, what's everybody going to do with their life? Right. And I'm sitting there looking around like, I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. I just want to eat, have some clothes on my back, be able to take care of my mom. Yeah, yada. And people are talking about I'm going to medical school. I'm going to dental school. I'm going here. And I'm looking around like, man. Am I in the right place? So afterwards, I went to an advisor was like, hey, you know, people are saying that's a class for doctors and dentists. So I was like, can I be a doctor? And my professor was like, you absolutely can. So I was like, OK, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. Again, people didn't believe that I could do it because people from my neighborhood don't become doctors. Right. And so I just kept inching forward, inching forward, inching forward. 
but the whole time I had zero financial literacy, zero, right? I was a, I was the poor uh, black kid that was playing on a team with people where their parents can go to games, their parents can fly to these NCAA uh, Division One games, and I'm trying to keep up with them. So I'm like racking up credit cards left and right, and eventually, I had a coach that uh, came up. So sorry about that. <laughs> had a coach that came up and uh, who I looked at as a like a father figure. God rest his soul as well. He turned out to be an advisor for Primerica. Um, and he was like, hey, you know what? You're messing up your money. I used to listen to him. Anything he said, like went. He's like, you're messing up your money. He put me on an allotment. So I was only living off of $50 a month at one point as a college student. If you can imagine trying to take a girl on a date, with $50 a month. And he locked up all my credit cards too. I had like so many credit cards, low limits, just very, very bad for you. Like anytime you walked to the airport, I was signing up for a new credit card and I rack up the debt. And, um, so he set me up with an allotment for a Roth IRA. And then I started getting the statements like, Oh man, I'm actually, what's this thing called compound interest and all this stuff. And I'm a, I'm was major at the time I switched from chemistry. So I'm like, doing the formulas and stuff like that. Like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I'm making money. So I started putting more money in there. And then when I graduated, I had a pretty significant sum for somebody who basically started with nothing. I had saved quite a bit. And the financial crisis starts, right? This is around 2007, 2008. Financial crisis hits. And man, my money started to tank. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this isn't supposed to happen. Like, it's supposed to go up. Right. It's not supposed to go down. And so I called Primerica was like, hey, you know, I just want to know why I can't put more money in because this thing says it's, it's closed. Like, what does that mean? And they were like, well, you should probably talk to your financial advisor. I was like, well, you know, my coach doesn't work for you guys anymore. And I was like, he was taking care of all of this. I didn't ask any questions. He just I, he had my best interest in mind. And then the, the customer service person or whoever it was was just like, well, you need to get a financial advisor. I was like, well, can you guys assign me one? They told me I didn't warrant getting a financial advisor and it, it pissed me off again. Right. And I was like, well, you know what? Fine. Tell me what, what do they read? And they told me to start with a prospectus. I started with the prospectus and I'm reading through this thing and it's all jargon field. And I realized I don't know enough. And so I'm having to look up all these words. And so then that started this journey of me consuming all the knowledge that I could to read the same stuff as financial planners and financial advisors, investment advisors, so I can learn. So I never have to worry about someone telling me that I'm not good enough anymore. So that started that, that, that fire in me to really make more, to do better. And then I never worried about whether or not I was going to make a lot of money because I figured if I always took care of people and I, and I was living for, for service and taking care of others, that God would always take care of me. And so that's the route that I took each time. Okay, lots to unpack there. First of all, that breaks my heart that nobody ever encouraged you. And you said, I, was, I didn't even know I was smart until nine or 10 years ago. Um, you're, what are you? Hold on, I got to get my notes. You are a mathematician, cryptologist, cybersecurity specialist, robot surgeon. Um. I'm I'm sad that those things don't tell you that you're smart. But again, when you are younger and nobody is encouraging you and you're not hearing people say, yes, you're smart. Of course, you're smart. Look at how smart you are all the time. It can be really hard to believe when other people start later on in life. 
Well, I mean, you got to imagine a lot of the spaces that I go into, I might be the only African-American in that space, right? When I was a cryptologist, there were two young African-Americans and they kept us separated, right? And so like, I'm always in a space where I'm like, man, am I supposed to be here? Right. Am I good enough to be here? The reality is when, when you first get in that space, that's what you're going to think. But then afterwards you look back and it was like, you know, the reason why I was there was because I was very, very good, but that takes time to learn those things. Right. And I grew up in a situation where I associated people with wealth to be better than me because I had nothing. Right. Like I had, I was a freshman in high school that showed up with a tweet suitcase that I got from the thrift store to wear as a backpack. So I'm carrying this 50 cent old school, 70 style porn-esque type suitcase, right? Uh, that you would think that I'm some old businessman, right? That's carrying a suitcase uh, to use as my backpack because I couldn't afford a backpack, right? So those things are a little bit embarrassing. I was a little bit embarrassed in that scenario. And I was always trying to sort of fit in when I didn't really fit in, right? Because I wasn't like everyone else. And I didn't feel that whether or not that I was smart, I never got the chance to really think about that. All I was thinking about was I got to work harder than everyone else in order to make sure that I stay in this spot that's giving me money, that's giving me an opportunity. And then what I realized over time is I just kept chasing hard problems, right? I chased the thing that everyone else didn't want to do. Because again, I get pushed to the back of the room, right? I don't look like everyone else. I'm not getting the same opportunities as everyone else. So then I had to make my niche being the thing that everyone else didn't want to do, right? So being in cryptology, I ended up doing a lot of stuff that was, that people was like, oh, that's too hard, right? Or that problem's unsolvable. And I'll just be like, okay, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. And I just work and work and work. And now it seems like a lot when you look at my resume, even I was like, man, I can't believe I did all this stuff. But in reality, I, I didn't have a choice, right? I kept getting opportunities taken away from me. And the only way for me to even get down and have some semblance of job satisfaction or whatever was to try hard things. And it kept taking me a different path. Originally, I was a chemistry major, right? And I got forced to move out of chemistry because my basketball coach said it was taking away and a distraction from the team. So he made me switch majors or I had to quit basketball. I had identified myself as a basketball player, not as an academic whatever. And I was just like, okay, I'm switching to something easy. And math came easy to me. And that's all I thought about. I didn't think about how technically an applied mathematics degree from the United States Naval Academy is a very hard degree to get. And people pay attention to those things. That didn't matter to me. I literally, after graduation, I threw my degree in the trash. Wow. That's the truth. I honestly threw it in the trash. I was like, I don't know what this is for. It didn't, I couldn't understand the semblance and the meaning of it. I understand it now, but that's the honest to God truth. If you come in my office, you don't see any of my degrees on the uh, wall. I just, it was hard for me to acknowledge those things. I want to celebrate your success because getting a math degree is above my head. Getting a math degree is hard. Getting a math degree says to the corporate world, the hiring world, the, you know, the business world, that this guy is really, really, really smart. And that math degree is going to open up a lot of doors. If you decided not to be a robot surgeon, if you decided to do something else entirely, having a math degree is going to say this brain works in a different way than somebody who gets a different degree, their brain would work. And it doesn't make it 
this different degree worse than you. It's just different. Your mathematical mind is like you're an analyst. Anybody would hire you as an analyst in a heartbeat because you are like, what's a cryptographer? First of all, I don't even know what cryptology is. So uh, cryptology, if uh, the the easiest way to think about it is like the World War II code breakers, right? Enigma. Oh, okay. Yeah. So signals, intelligence, things like that. So um, my, my thing in that realm was cybersecurity. And that was uh, one of those things that I got put into and I got a chance to do it, but they didn't believe I was going to do it. My boss put his job on, job on the line for me to even get that opportunity. Wow. And what, what was the path um, from your math degree to the cryptology? Well, I originally started in a Navy nuclear community. Um, so I passed the nuke interview and which is like this random thing. And again, I only did that because they were offering a bonus and the bonus money could have helped my family. Right. So again, you see the, like the carrot in the stick. I kept chasing this carrot. Of, I need more money for my family. So let me go do whatever's offering money. And I just did whatever it took, studied as hard as I could or whatever. And I just magically got through these doors and I kept getting to the next step. Right. So I started there. And the only reason why I didn't make it to a submarine or anything like that was because my medical waiver never got submitted. And so I ended up with basically no job after completing a couple, like one of my courses. And I got the option to either get out or go do this thing called cryptology, which they told me it was just cool math stuff. And I was like, okay, I know math. And let's go do some cool stuff. <laughs> see. Was, was it cool math stuff? No. Not at all. Not till not till the tail end of what I was doing before I went to medical school. It was no cool math stuff. It was a lot of cool stuff, just not cool math stuff. Okay, so for those of us who haven't been in the Navy, does going to the Naval Academy automatically mean you're in the Navy? Yes and no, right? It depends because the Navy, uh, part of the Navy is the Marine Corps. Um, so... Uh, you either go on the Navy or Marines. Primarily, you can petition to go into the Air Force or Army, but majority of the graduates go either okay. way. Okay, so are you currently in the Navy or the Marines? I am, and let me caveat this: nothing I say here is representative of the United States Navy. I am speaking on behalf of Dr. David Roney. I'm not representative. Yes, of the US thank Congress. you. Okay, I'm glad that we had that opportunity to give that disclaimer to you. Um, okay, so. When you graduate, the Naval Academy is like college. That was where you went after high school. So you graduated from the Naval Academy and you shared the story of um, signing up for a credit card every time you were in the airport. What sort of debt did you graduate college with? Oh, so I graduated. So at the Naval Academy, they make you take what's called a career starter loan. It's a 0% interest, 30, at the time, a 0% interest, uh, 35. 30 or 35,000. Then I took another loan, which was another career starter loan was like 5,000. And it signed you up for a life insurance policy that you paid off, whatever. Um, so I had probably close to 70,000. I bought a new car right uh, before I graduated because uh, the place I was supposed to move, I had an F-150 that I was driving. It was way too big to be going around South Carolina and F-150 at the time. And gas was outrageous. Um, so I bought a Volvo bad decision for me because that was the worst car I ever owned. 
Um, so I had about 70,000 when I graduated. Um, and a full ride scholarship. So you didn't have any student loans. That was just all credit cards and car loans. No student loan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And after graduation, what year is this that we're talking? 2007. 2007. Okay. So after graduation, do you immediately go to medical school? No. So I, I did the Navy nuke nuclear power community stuff for about six months and then switched into I don't know, it's probably about four, four or six months at some time frame in there and then switched to the cryptology community. And then about three years later, went to uh, medical school. Okay. So what was your financial position going into medical school? This is going to be like 2010? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it, it was pretty good at that point because I, once I made the decision to go to medical school, I just, I went into overly safe mode. And so I just saved everything I could because I got this singular focus. Like that was the only thing that mattered. I wasn't buying anything. Everything was devoted towards saving um, so I could pay for things associated with the medical school process because the medical school application process is actually prohibitive if you don't have money. Um, It can be very, very expensive. I'm talking about five to 10 grand expensive. Um, And that's that not having the amount of money that you might need in order to apply broadly because I wasn't a great candidate because I didn't study at the Naval Academy. I never failed in class, never really tried too hard at the Naval Academy. But so my grades I know were lower. My MCAT score was lower. So I knew that I needed to apply broadly. In order to apply broadly, it was going to be a lot of money. So I saved like crazy. Um, And I probably should have paid off more debt. But if I got into medical school, I had like a $35,000 uh, I can't, it was, it might've been close to $30,000, uh, like sign on bonus for going to medical school for taking the Navy scholarship. So it was something crazy. So 2010, you get into medical school, you've spent all this money mm-hmm. applying to medical school. You get in, you get your $30,000, $35,000 in like a stipend. Well, so it was, so I got a sign. I can't even remember what that. I just remember I, at the, it was between me selling back all of my vacation time and whatever bonus they gave me, which was pretty significant. It was like 30, 35,000 roughly. Um, and then the military paid for me to go to medical school. Oh, so you didn't graduate. I went to medical school on a Yeah. I went to medical school on a HPSP scholarship. It was a health profession scholarship program where the military pays for you to go to school. It doesn't cover all of your costs, but it covers probably a good significant portion of it. And then are you required to continue on with the Navy when you graduate? Yeah, it's about a year for year uh, commitment. So if they pay for four years in medical school, you owe them four years back. But obviously I had been in for a while, so it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Okay. I didn't know anything else. And can you talk about the decision making process to go to medical school? It sounds like things were going okay um, with the, the job in general. So yeah, why switch careers essentially? So I I made the decision to go to medical school because I wanted to have, to feel like I had a tangible like result of helping people, right? Like being in the field that I was in, in cryptology, everything's it's secret squirrel world, right? So people don't even know that you exist and they don't even know that you're going to help them. And I really wanted to feel like I can see the results of what I was doing. And I wanted a hands-on thing. 
And I wanted the ability to impact more lives. So I felt like going to becoming a doctor would be the best bet. I honestly had no clue what surgeons made. I literally had no idea. All I knew it was it was something hard that people said I couldn't do, so I was okay. going to do it. Well, and that makes me look at sort of your career trajectory and where you are, where you are now, and where you came from. Those you know tough years growing up, and you're sort of moving to you know maybe not bigger challenges, but pretty large challenges and long term. So, how did you keep motivated? How did you push through? It sounds like you weren't always welcomed in the different environments that you were showing up in. So how'd you keep motivated, especially with the really long-term goals? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, what other choice did I have, right? Like if I didn't succeed, what happens to my mom, right? Now my mom's passed, but if I didn't succeed, there there's people who were looking up to me Right. To be an example, like, for instance, my brother who's older than me said that I was the motivation for him to keep going. Right. Because he kept seeing me do hard things. So when he told me that, I was like, man, I can't give up. And then the other thing is my mom used to always say is, are you going to give people the satisfaction of knowing they got to you? Right. So, like, you're telling me I can't do this. Am I supposed to give you that satisfaction? I'm too stubborn for that. Right. And so at the end of the day, I didn't have a choice. What else was I supposed to do? At the end of the day, I don't have a fallback plan, right? I don't because I don't have that support network. So if I, my only choice is to keep going and to be successful because if I'm not, then it's all over. Like I'm, there's no reason for me to be on this earth, right? Because I'm falling right back down. I started literally with negative. Uh, when I went to the Naval Academy, we became homeless again. My mom got sick again. She stopped paying the bills when I was away because I was the person responsible for paying the bills. I lost everything, all my clothes. I had no home to go back to. I had no uh, pictures from childhood, nothing, right? And I, I literally sat at the Naval Academy and I'm just like, well, I don't even know what home is anymore, right? So like every step of the way, I've been the one, but like, okay, you know what? I have to put another foot forward. I have to put another step forward. Because I didn't have a choice. My back's always been against that wall. Wow, that's that's heavy stuff. And I I wonder, and feel free to skip this question, but like, did your teammates or some of your close network at the Naval Academy know some of the struggles that you were going through at the time? Well, I mean, you have to understand that people, I mean, you're, you're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, right? So like, you, you aren't going to be as mature to understand. So I got teased a lot. Right. Oh, I got teased a lot. People made fun of me a lot. Right. Because they, they couldn't understand. They they couldn't relate to what I had been through. They couldn't relate to the trauma. And let's say I get defensive earlier and I feel like I'm a caged animal and I have to like respond because I've always had to be defensive in order to save myself. Right. So they're not going to respond to that. So like I didn't from that aspect, I have very few teammates who are very supportive of that. So I hear you. I I. I know what you're saying. I'm totally understanding what you're saying, but you know, you're saying what other choice did I have but to continue forward? There's a lot of people that give up. There's a lot of people who could continue to go forward and they're like, mm, never mind. Life's just gonna kick me in the teeth, so I'm just gonna let it. And I'm saying that to kind of celebrate you and celebrate your will and your determination and your motivation and you continue to move forward because that isn't the story for everybody. And I'm 
I'm wondering if you have come to terms with that yet. Like, hey, I really did great in life because you did. You really have done amazing. And I'm excited for your future. You've got a lot on your horizon. You're going to just crush it because of this determination, this will, this I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let them see that they got to me. I'm going to win because I have to. Like, that's a that's a really strong personality trait. And I want I want to celebrate yeah. that. I want to I want to say, you know, that's great because you did absolutely have a choice. You could have said it's not going to work out. That's that's where I hit the genetic lottery. Right. Because uh, I don't look like my mom, but my mom was the that that was her. That was her personality. She had been through 10 times worse than what I went through as a kid. Right. And I, I don't I don't understate that or anything like that. I have nothing I can complain about with the stuff that my mom went through and she survived. And so we may have, I may have been born into a situation where we were in poverty, but like I hit the lottery when I gained her attitude, like, well, you know what? You're not going to stop me, right? All these challenges aren't going to stop me. And the other thing is calling it quits is the easy thing to do, right? It's super easy to do that. The hard thing, right, is actually to keep going forward. And then what I started to realize over time, there's value in doing the hard thing. There is value in doing the hard thing. Quitting is absolutely the easy thing to do. And that's just, you're reiterating what I said. I'm celebrating you because you have pushed through. And yes, your mother had different circumstances than you and they weren't as good as yours, but your circumstances weren't as good as somebody else's. And it's very easy to say, well, I guess life's just going to kick me in the teeth and I'm going to be done with it. Yeah, I, I, I refuse to be that, right? So like in my house, uh, my kids know the words I can't doesn't don't get said in this house, right? That's actually a bad word in this house. Um, considering I, I use swear words a lot, like that's actually a worse <laughs> word to like phrase to say. And they know that I'll immediately peek up and like, nope, you're not saying that. Figure it out, right? Because at the end of the day, when it comes down to things, whether that skill of not giving up and doing the hard thing that translates. Right. And what I used to always say is I'm going to try and make myself so valuable, right. No matter what I'm doing, what, what field I am so valuable that you're forced to keep me around and forced to pay me. That's an awesome mentality to have. Cause then your bosses are like, wow, I can't get rid of David because I would have to hire 17 people to do the work that he does. The other thing is I, I make an effort that every place I leave, I leave better. And so if, if I haven't left that place better, then, then I didn't do my job and I need to stay longer. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment in tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Okay, let's get back to medical school. You're a surgeon. That's longer than just going through medical school, right? You have to go through medical school and then surgery school? Yeah, you go through what's called residency. uh, So residencies are anywhere from three to seven years. Like neurosurgery is the longest residency you can go through. Originally, I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I had That was my goal, right? Because my brother said, if it's not hard, I'm not doing it. And neurosurgery was the hardest thing you can do, brain surgery. I'm glad I'm not a neurosurgeon today. Right. But the reason why I'm not a neurosurgeon today is because of discrimination. And I got told they didn't want someone like me. Oh, wow. 
And so despite all of my qualifications, I graduated near the top of my class. I had great board scores, hit all the checks in the box. But the one box I didn't check was I looked the way I look and they didn't like that. And so I got pushed down a different path. And so I could have said, you know what, I'm screw this. Like I, this is my dream. And then uh, been mad about it. But instead I just made my own path. And say, I know what, just put me in an operating room. I don't care what happens. I don't care what title you give me. I just want to operate. That's the major thing for me. And so I just took what God gave me and I just kept going. That's got to be really discouraging to be told, no, we don't want you. That is when. It's not the first time. (laughs) It's not the first time. They told me that at the Naval Academy when I showed up after two weeks. They was like, hey, you know, you don't belong here and we're going to do whatever it takes to get you out of here. And I told him flat out, I will, I don't have anywhere to go and this is the best place for me. So I'm staying, you can do whatever you want to try, but it's not going to work. I love that attitude. So after residence, after medical school, which was paid for by the military, what was your financial position? Graduating from college, you had around $70,000 in debt. You were in super safe mode to pay for medical school. What, what did your debt load look like when you graduated medical school? So when I graduated medical school, so I took out, um, in order to make sure my mom didn't take the burn, right? Cause now when I was working on active duty, I had a certain level of lifestyle. Um, and I was paying my mom, I think where I subsidized her, I think a thousand dollars a month. And my brother was giving her roughly a thousand dollars a month to help her out. Cause she couldn't work. And so like, I had to keep that up. So I took out some loans, right? Because they were low percentage at the time, 6.8% to me below seven wasn't bad. I was like, I'll, I'll make enough in the future as a doctor in general to be able to pay these back. So it wasn't a big deal. So I took out loans to make sure that her lifestyle um, didn't take a hit. I decided to go to medical school, right? Because that was my decision. And I had already uh, like took this thing on to help make sure that her lifestyle was okay. And so graduated, I think I had about 70,000, right? Because the thing they don't tell you about medical school is during your fourth year, when you have to go interview and you have to stay at these hotels and uh, the rental cars, and stuff, that's all on you, right? Most people have to take out loans their senior year, and that can be 30 to 40 grand that of an expense, depending on how many interviews you do and how many rotations away from your house that you do, right? And that's a hidden cost of medicine. The other thing is our board exams, which in medical school, you're going to take three board exams, right? Those can cost altogether about five, six grand. So now you're taking out loans for that stuff, right? And then you have to account for the fact that after you graduate medical school, you're not making any money yet because you haven't started working in residency. So you need money to be able to transition from being a medical student to a resident. And you have to move wherever your residency is and you have to move your whole house. So then that costs money. So by the end, I had about 70000 when I started residency. Is that Now, is that the 70 on top of the 70 that you already had or had you paid off the other 70? I had paid off the other 70 because I was like, well, I had these bonuses. I was like, well, I'll just pay everything off. I paid off my car. At the beginning of medical school, I had zero debt when I walked in. So I I 
started from a pretty good place, right? So I started in heavy debt. I was like, I lived a pretty frugal lifestyle unknowingly to me. And then um, I paid off all that debt and got in debt again, which was good debt this time, right? Because this was me investing in myself, right? So now I have a degree that's worth X amount of whatever. And so I was like, you know, I can, I'm pretty getting pretty good at this business stuff. I'm starting to learn a little bit more. I was like, well, fine. I'll just negotiate it into my contract, right? Uh, whether I can, I'm going to get a student loan repayment or not, because when I got into medical school, the first thing I did was start asking every doctor I saw about the business side of medicine. What would they do differently? How to think about contracts? How to, uh, how do you get paid? How does the uh, health insurance work? How do you negotiate all these things? So I started learning that stuff from day one. That's huge. I mean, look at how far ahead you are at the end of your med school, beginning of your residency. You're head and shoulders above all the people that you just graduated from school with who didn't talk about any of that stuff. Maybe they take the first job that is thrown their way because they don't know anything about this. They don't know that you can negotiate all of these things in there. So what did you negotiate into your residency? Can you talk about that? So in the residency, there's no negotiating that you can do, right? Because it's a standardized contract. Um, But for me, like I knew that after my four years in the military, after I paid them back, now I've, I've got all my power back, right? Because now I'm like, well, I can go to the highest bidder if I want. I can go to the lowest bidder if I want. And so now I'm starting to approach that next tier in 2023, I'll be able to say, hey, you know what? Actually, do I want to sign a new contract with the military or do I want to go somewhere else or do I want to go in the middle of nowhere? Stuff like that. And I'm, I'm getting back to that. But like that was years of preparation and understanding what the landscape looks like. And when you were so it sounds like you were slowly getting a handle on your finances, paying down the debt and then starting in a much better position. When did you start thinking about either financial independence or more about personal finance where you're thinking, Hey, I I not only understand, but I'm going to take this farther and I'm going to like own this situation. Well, the thing that will make you do that is have a kid, (laughs) right? Cause man, I, I remember me and my wife got married in 2016 and, uh, we got pregnant shortly thereafter. We weren't planning to have a kid that first year. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I sat in the car crying, right? Because I was a resident and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, right? Like we're, we're just trying to make it. I'm working a lot. I'm frustrated. And I'm like, how are we supposed to add another mouth? And that's when I was like, okay, total shift. I'm either going to hit this wall and fail, or I got to figure something out. And so then I was like, you know what? I have a lot of skills that I've obtained. I'm going to figure out how to start making extra money. And then I got on a bigger pockets forum was like, okay, what's this real estate investing thing? Cause I started hearing about it on HGTV. Right. And so like, I'm looking, I'm like, well, how do I do this? I someone from bigger pockets. And then I started like reading all the stuff that's there and I'm consuming book after book, after book, after book. And I'm like, you know what, I, I have to, the thing I need to get to is financial independence. So I never have to worry about what uh, this situation will ever occur again. So you read all these real estate books, you now own how many doors? 
uh, I don't own enough. I tell you, so I have, uh, I have one, I have two doors and, and both of them have been house hacked. Um, and one of them I'm currently living in, which I think is probably going to be our forever home. So I really like this house. Um, but I, what I did is buy correctly, right? So I bought in an area, uh, each time the house that I negotiated, right? So I used a VA loan the first time around. Um, and the sellers paid our 90% of our closing costs. And so we only had to pay, I think five grand, right? But that house we bought in 2017 has about 150,000 in equity right now. Right. And so we started with about 9,000 and then we threw appreciation in the market. And then, uh, I knew that they would be expanding out to that area eventually. So time has started to sort of allow the house to appreciate. And then the other thing is I have a tenant in there and we cash flow a pretty significant amount above the um, above the actual mortgage because my VA mortgage is low and that that size of a house actually commands a higher rent. So there's a pretty good margin um, right there. And it's a newer house, right? So like uh, my capital expenditures, and I'm not having to worry about putting a roof on right now. The appliances are fairly new, things like that. So like I, my numbers worked out very well. The house that we currently bought, which I bought sight unseen, uh, my wife saw the house twice. And then I was out of the country when we bought the house. Um, well, we bought the house and it immediately appreciated because of a dis, uh, sales in the neighborhood. Um, now it's 70000 worth 70000 more than what we paid. And that we bought the house in May. Ah, uh, yes, the the twenty twenty one ridiculous housing market that we find ourselves in. What part of the yes. world are we in? You had mentioned South Carolina. Oh, so I'm in Virginia currently. Okay, um, right outside Norfolk. Okay, so there's a huge military presence there, um, mm-hmm. and you're still in the military. When do you get out? I am. So we just had Grumpus Maximus on the podcast on episode two hundred and fifty three, and he talked about your pension. And if you have been in the military for four years of college and four years of med school, and you graduated med school in 2014, now you've got, what, 12 years in? 16 years in? That's pretty good math, actually. So um, they do a funny calculation where that they give me all of those years for my pay but they half those years for my service and move my retirement to 2035. Um, So, but the kicker is, is if I make it to that point, I get like 28 or 30 years at retirement, something crazy. And so it actually increases the amount of pension that I'd be eligible for. Um, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I have a couple more months to, I, I have to decide by February 28th. Um, if I'm staying a little bit longer or if I'm going, getting out and doing something else. Ooh, okay. So this is, I said it was episode 253. It's actually episode 259 of uh, the Money Podcast where we talk about pensions. Not every pension is going to be worth it, but one thing to consider, and you're a doctor, so this is again, like all these different things on your seesaw to consider. One thing to consider with a military pension is you have access to, uh, TRICARE and your dependents have mm-hmm. access to TRICARE. And that is enormously huge, except you're a surgeon. So you probably have access to doctors. And my mom's a nurse. We never went to the doctor when I was a kid because 
all you're going to do is see the nurse and they're going to be like, it's nothing. It's just a cold. You're a kid. Get over it. Like we went when there was an issue, but it was like, it's no big deal. I had my appendix out and I came home from work and I'm like, mom, my side hurt. She's like, let's go to the hospital. I'm like, oh my God, you never say that. Like this is, this must be really serious. So you have access to medical care. I mean, you're a doctor, so maybe that's not such a big concern for you. I'm not sure. There's no bad decision here, right? So like that's the best. De- well, that's the best and the worst because it's so easy to make the decision the the when there's like this yeah. is great and this one's garbage. I'll make the great decision. Yeah, there's so there's no bad decision here. So I'm just going with the flow. I'm not trying to. It was stressing me out for a little bit because I was like, I'm a person that like tries to figure out what's the next objective, and there's really no. I'm at a fork in the road, right? There's no bad decision. I just have to make a decision. Uh, and go either way. But I mean, there are some drawbacks, right? Because if I get out and I hate it, do I go back in? Or if I stay in and things change and I'm like, start to hate it. And I'm like, well, it's going to take me another five years to get out. Right. And so those are just things that I have to think about. Um, But I don't have a bad decision. Yeah. It's whatever keeps my family happiest. That's interesting. So if you get out and you decide that you don't want to be out, you want to go back in. How old are you right now? I don't think we ever talked about how actually. I'll be 37 on Sunday. My birthday's tomorrow. Um, Okay. Happy birthday. So if you're 37, can you go back in? Mm -hmm. Do the age limits not apply to you because you've already been before? Or do they not apply to you because you're a doctor? It's it's a little bit of both, okay. right? Because I have a rare skill as a as a surgeon. You kind of can't be choosy on who you're taking. Okay. And so as long as I'm in shape and I can pass mustard, then uh, someone will always take me. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. You really don't have any bad options at all. Mm-hmm. And then if you do get out and you decide you want to go back in, does your next period of time get added to the other one or you don't start over, do you? No, I, I, my previous period gets, is added to my, uh, to the new period. Okay. So what would you do if you left? I don't know because there's days that I really, so I have three loves, finance, uh, technology and healthcare. And I try my best to be at the intersection of those. Right. And so I contemplate a lot of times on whether or not I'm staying in medicine full time, whether or not. I want to be a surgeon full time because I I'm actually better served doing a bunch of things as opposed to focusing on one thing. Cause I might end up getting bored. Well, I was going to say, and this may be related. So you seem like the, the kind of man, David, that likes challenges. You've talked about like kind of going after challenges and doing the harder thing. And what are, what challenges are you going after? Like right now, it sounds like, you know, making a decision where you have like two pretty good decisions in your path. So yeah, what what are you looking for right now to push you hard? Well, so I have this idea to build a early warning system for patients, right? For their medical records, where basically it keeps track of like, hey, you know, you're approaching the age of 45 and your family history suggests that you have a high, you're a high risk for colon cancer. You should schedule a colonoscopy. Or you're like, hey, you know, I need to go see a doctor. I can look the doctor up and send them all of my medical, pertinent medical history by the press of a button directly to their office. So it uploads to their EMR. Those are like the ideas that I have that I I really want to develop because I think it would, 
I, I made this promise when my mother died that I would help as many as possible because she died unexpectedly from the medical system not being what it should be and which is taking care of patients and being preventative. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is I really, I'm, I'm tired of the diversity numbers being bad in a lot of fields, right? Like I, people look at me today and still shut the door on me. And I think it's kind of ridiculous, right? Because after the fact, after they read my resume and they read my bio, they go, oh, well, he's actually pretty talented. But when they look at me up front, they judge me and say, you know what, actually, he's not talented. And I, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous, right? There, I might not be the most talented person in the world. There's probably somebody way more talented than me who's not getting the opportunity. And I think that sucks. Right. So I'm trying to change that. So what I say is all the time, I try and kick down as many doors as I can and leave them open. So that's one thing. And then another thing is the financial literacy aspect. Right. I I hate the fact that financial like quality financial advice is not affordable in this country. I hate the fact that when I'm a surgeon, you want my business. Right. Because I'm a Henry or whatever you want to call me. But when I'm making forty five thousand dollars. You don't want my business because I don't qualify as someone you're interested in. But the reality is, is I was full of potential, right? If you would have taught me the things that I knew, right, we could develop the bond, we could develop, and I would have never left you because you always would have taken care of me. That's 10 years worth of business and 10 years worth of income growth that they could have had, right? Back then, that maybe if I had a financial advisor, they'd be like, hey, you realize you don't really need to go to medical school, right? Uh, because if I would have just stayed in the path I was on, I'd be retiring from the military in a couple years from now, right? And I'd be 42 years old, starting another career, and I've already got a government pension, and that's all that passive in- uh, income that I was always wanting, right? I, I was already on the path to financial independence. And I had no idea, right? And so those are just things, right? It could have changed the trajectory of where I'm going. So I try and make financial advice, uh, I try and democratize, like truly democratize it, right? So like make sure that people who are like me can get access to jargon-free information that they need to succeed. And I use stories from my life in order to teach people those lessons. I love that. And who could better use the financial advice, the 18-year-old kid who actually has a Roth IRA or the 47-year-old guy with $300,000, you have so much more potential. Look at what your income, and not even your income, look at what your net worth could be if you actually have a Roth IRA when you're 18 years old. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. I mean, it grows faster if you contribute to it every year, but even if you don't, it will continue to grow. You have so many more opportunities because you're 18, you have your financial life in front of you. That's what we're doing here with the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. We're just, we're trying to tell every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everybody, no matter when or where you're starting, which I say at the beginning of every single show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. That Roth IRA was a like, remember I told you, I didn't start that. I didn't know what it was, right? So like my, my coach was a godsend, was an angel. Right. And started that and put me in a hard situation to to make sure it's getting funded every month. That paid for my mother's funeral. 
right? So think about that. If he never did that, my mom dies, I have no money to pay for her funeral. So those, and then me getting a Roth IRA and learning what that was led me to teaching my brother what a Roth IRA was. And he got the same thing and started investing. So like that, it had a ripple effect, right? And, and I think those things are extremely important. And those are things that I try and champion, right? And make sure that I'm, I'm fighting for those and equitable access. It's funny, you asked me about uh, how many doors I have. I go back and forth with like whether or not I want to really buy apartment buildings or buy uh, commercial real estate. And I'm, I'm constantly reading, constantly reading, constantly reading. And I'm trying to just figure out where I fit in in the threshold because there's a huge spectrum of these things, right? I learned two years ago or a year and a half ago about um, mortgage notes. I didn't even know that was a thing. Until I found it on Bigger Pockets uh, podcast, and I was like, "Oh wow, what is, what is this?" And then it opened, and then I started learning about all these different things. The random eighteen year old's not going to know any of it, right? And, and and you know, people don't know their options for even getting a home loan, right? And even then, the VA loan or FHA loan or was it the NACA loan? Like, there's all these little things, right? Or the home. Uh, first-time home buyers assistance programs in their uh, city, people don't know to look for them. Or the fact that, guess what, that Section 8 voucher that you just got approved for, that actually can buy your home for you if you decide to go that route. You don't have to rent a home. I didn't know that. It was actually intended for, that was the intended purpose for that program. I didn't know that. Yes. That was the original intended purpose for that program. Does it still work? Like if you have a Section 8 voucher, can you use that to pay your mortgage? Yes. Okay, now I have to do some research on that because that's not something that I have no... It's not well advertised. It's not well advertised, but that was the original intention of that program. I love that. And I am in real estate. I work at Bigger Pockets. I talk about real estate all day, every day, and I'm just learning about this now. Um, I need to be a little bit more curious, David. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I am trying to, I'm thinking bigger, right? And I'm willing to sort of save and invest and wait because I'm trying to learn how to develop affordable homes that I can actually make a positive impact on the community around me. So I've I've pulled back from the thought that, you know, I just want to develop this mini uh, real estate empire. I'm just going to buy a bunch of single family homes and rent them out. I don't want to do that because I'm like, you know, the people who are going to afford those homes, right? Because now we're talking about, and I learned this from uh, Brandon Turner, the A, B, C, D class neighborhood stuff, right? And so I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I really don't necessarily know if that's a good thing for me to be in, right? Because I don't, it's not helping people where like where I came from. So like, I look at cities like Detroit and I look at um, Portsmouth, Virginia, and I look at uh, Compton, California. Now, California real estate prices is out of control, but I'm like, you know, if I can just go buy a large block of land and develop affordable homes on it, one, I can create some good for them and create a level of po- profit for me, right? And do both at the same time. Yes. Okay. So there is this 
um, this company that is building these affordable houses. And I'm talking like $20,000, but they still look like they're in Architectural Digest magazine. They're really beautiful and they're, but I don't think they have a lot of um, insulation in them. So they would have to be built in a warmer climate. But how cold does it get in Virginia in the wintertime? Yeah, I think like it can get some frost, the occasional like snow, right? So not real snow, but snow. Um, but it can probably get, I think probably like 32 or high 20s. Uh, it doesn't get, it gets cold enough, but not a lot. Okay. So that's like your pipes aren't going to freeze at 32 if there's a little bit of insulation, but they'll freeze at zero if there's a little bit yeah. of insulation. So, okay. Um, yeah, I will find that link. I will include it in our show notes, but I'll also send it to you because it's a really interesting project. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. Yeah, please send it to me. Like I said, I'm, I am trying to learn, which is the reason why I'm, uh, trying to like bug this developer who luckily answers my phone calls. Um, so I can learn how to build these things from the ground up, um, in order to really figure out what numbers work. But I mean, everything's just super expensive right now. Boy, you're not kidding. Come out to Colorado. Everybody <laughs> wants to be here. Well, I mean, there's stuff that I thought would be uh, maybe a couple, like two years ago, plots of land that were like $5,000 or probably like sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 now. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's really annoying, actually. Yeah. And then I hear that. I'm like, ooh, $60,000 land. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the part of the uh, thing about being where I am is you like it's it's a great it's a great uh, opportunity to um, have a population that's going to be consistent, um, but it has its challenges, right? So, like flood insurance is a thing here if you aren't paying attention. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, flood. We don't have flood insurance. We're in a desert. Plus, we're at like five thousand feet. Yeah, um, so you don't have to worry about that. Tor- uh, hurricanes are a thing, right? And so, yeah. like, the, everything that comes with being on a coast and being technically f- uh, four feet under uh, sea level. So, I mean, it's like, it's really weird. Like, there's places that you're like, this should be underwater, right? That's every time the water, like, it rises. So, <laughs> so kind of switching gears just a little bit here. Do you have any tips to approach people that might need help with financial knowledge without coming on so strong that they're turned off? I, I guess, you know, we, we do a very bad job of teaching financial literacy, right? And we teach with a jargon-filled approach where, hey, um, what you need to do is you need to uh, utilize the zero-degree or the zero-based budget or this envelope method. And yeah, people don't think like that. They think in scenarios, right? Like, hey, I don't know how I'm supposed to pay this bill next month. Hey, I don't know how I'm supposed to add, like me, an extra mouth to feed with what I'm making, right? And so I think there's an opportunity, like let people tell you what their problem is. And if they go and say, hey, you know what, I I really want to get a new car. I'm not sure I can afford it. Then sit down with them and say, well, you know, where's your budget? Well, and they're going to be like, well, what do you mean by budget? Well, like, oh, here's a budget. Let's, Let's make one right now so you can know where all your money's going and then help them find the answers because it's going to be a longer lasting connection, right? If you give people answers, that's easy to go in one year out the other. They're going to keep that answer as long as they need it, but it's not going to be a long-term memory thing. But if they can form the connections and come to like two plus two equals four realization, it will stay with them forever. 
Yeah, that is so powerful. And it's really hard for me to not just be like, here's all the information you need and overwhelm people. It. I actually did used to do that a lot. And guess how many people retained that information? I think zero. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we all do, right? Because we get we are finance geeks and we like talking about this stuff, and then we forget that other people isn't aren't the same way. So they don't necessarily want to hear about all these things. They just want to hear about how to get from where they are to on the other side of their problem or their issue, right? So they don't need the full financial journey. They just need a snapshot, and along the way, you can give them little nuggets, right? That really they can develop themselves because the whole goal is not for you to teach them everything, but to get them to want to teach themselves and continue to ask questions and learn. This has been a lot of fun. This has been super, super helpful. And I feel like I was telling Doug, I love your story and I hate your story. I love what you've been able to accomplish. I think that you need to spend more time patting yourself on the back because you really have done a lot. And what was my choice? You could have just quit. There's a lot of people out there with less trying circumstances than you have gone through that have just quit. And they're like, well, I guess it's not going to work out. So you need to spend more time backing, patting yourself on the back and congratulating yourself because you really have done a phenomenal job. But I also hate your story because you've had so many things thrown at you simply because you're African-American and that sucks. And Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> I'm I'm not African American, so I don't experience those same prejudices and I don't have those feelings. So I don't like it's it's rather shocking that that's still happening in 2021. I mean, I lived through 2020, it's not that shocking, but it's like it's still shocking. You are a surgeon. You are a mathematician, cryptologist, cybersecurity specialist, NCAA athlete which doesn't really pertain to mental space, but like, and you can't get in the door as easily as I can. I am not a mathematician. I didn't even know what cryptology was. And that's just not right. It, it's, it, it baffles me actually, um, because the, the worst part for me is when I see someone else get an opportunity that I also went for and they have less credentials, right? So I have tons of emails of people saying, oh yeah, you're, you, look, your resume is super impressive. You're obviously very brilliant, but unfortunately we're going to go in a different direction because we want to give this other person the opportunity. Or hey, or like at the Naval Academy, hey, uh, you know what? I know you deserve that B, but you're never going to um, grad school anyway. So let me give this other person a B because they're eventually going to go to grad school. You can just use the C. That actually happened to me. Um, and those are things that That's, happen. You don't have a certain number of Bs to hand out. That's what happened to me. You don't just have a certain number of Bs to hand out and then you have to give Cs. What a bunch of crap. That happened to me. And I'm just like, you know, you, you got to be kidding me. And I mean, I I still, like I said, I get opportunities taken away from me. I, I get the lack of opportunity. I have to fight for everything that I want to do. Um, I mean, in the last year, I took really took a long, hard look at the things that I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I, like this venture capital thing sounds fun, right? Like sounds challenging. I get to, and so I was like, well, how do you even get into the industry? So I asked a lot of people and I would get doors shut on me there. I still get doors shut on me there. And I was like, well, well, I guess they don't want me. So like, guess what? I'll just make my own way. 
Um, and so that's what I just keep doing. I just keep making my own way and I'm going to continue doing so because I haven't hit the goal that I want to hit then I'll really feel like I did something, right? And that goal um, is $20 million in net worth, not necessarily for, my, for the benefit of my immediate family, but for generations. I'm concerned about my legacy, right? My mom died at the age of 49. I'll be 37 on Sunday. And so I think about that. Like, what if I only have 12 more years left, right? What do, what, what do I want my kids to be able to carry forward? Like, I can't, if I if I don't start them off better than where I was, then I failed. If if my legacy doesn't snowball and that my grandkids can pick up and run with, then I failed because I had every opportunity while I was alive to do these things. Right. Uh, we all have the same 24 hours. Right. And I can sit here and complain about what I wasn't given or I can go out and get it. And so I just choose to go out and get it. I love your attitude. I don't know that I would have the same attitude. I might give up. I don't think that. But that I, I refuse to think that. I refuse. I mean, imagine that. what you could do if all the doors were open. You know, that's actually a scary thing. Imagine what we have missed out on. That's actually a scary thing, right? Because, uh, like, my thing is my brain never stops working, right? So, like, I walk into a scenario and I'm like looking and I'm listening to see how I can provide value, and then I start hearing. And I connect the dots and I start hearing people talk about problems. I'm like, you know, that problem shouldn't exist. And I run through the scenario in my head like, that problem shouldn't exist. I wonder if I can find a solution. Then I start like working on solutions and stuff like that. That's how I operate. And that's how I do everything that I do is I try and find the things that people are saying are a problem. And I try and fix them and provide value. Look, imagine what you could do if all the doors were open and imagine what others could do who did decide to stop. What, mm-hmm. what if we lost because the doors have been closed and nobody helped them? They didn't have the same David drive and nobody helped them kick down those doors. They didn't have the, the motivation. It's interesting, right? Because I think about this all the time. When I was in medical school, I, had a, I did a preceptorship with uh, basically a, a, a sort of like um, you follow around that doctor to learn what they do and how they do in that specialty. And he's a, a OBGYN black man. And the reason he became an OBGYN is because at a time, African-Americans weren't allowed to become surgeons. Like you just couldn't get into a residency, but they would let you into OBGYN residency, right? And so that was the only way they were going to become a surgeon. If they wanted to become a surgeon, they had to go that route. And I think about that, right? And I think about the difficulty I had, and I, it doesn't make me feel as bad because I, that, I know that could have been the same scenario that I was in. And so I, it cha- makes me change my mindset. Someone always has it worse, right? I remember after going through all the crazy stuff that we were going through as a kid, I remember I had a friend whose family escaped South Africa during apartheid, right? And so he would tell me all these stories, and I'm like, man, you know, I didn't really eat the past couple of days, but like you went through a lot. Like I'm not doing that bad. Right. Cause I, I was born in the U S and so I try never to complain about that because things, someone always has it worse than you. That's true. But there's always somebody that's better too. And mm-hmm. it just sucks. 
And I'm sorry that that has been your experience. And I am absolutely delighted that you have this David drive. I'm going to call it that now. Your <laughs> David drive that won't let you quit. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to learn. And sort of a side note here, it kind of reminds me of David Goggins a little bit. I've listened to and read his book. And do you get that every now and then, David? No, nobody uh, brings that up. But first off, the guy was a Navy SEAL. His story is amazing, right? And I think he's a nutcase when he's sitting there running those long marathons and talking at <laughs> oh, the same yeah. time. That's just crazy. Like, I, I'm not that type of person, right? So, like, I'm, I will happily watch you run a marathon and, and drink some juice or something like that to the side and wave at you. But I'm not doing all that crazy stuff. But um, I, I, I think certain scenarios create um, – like a fork in the road for you, right? Like each time you get a decision point and you get to say, um, I'm either going to quit or I'm going to keep going. And then you get to the next hard thing. I'm either going to quit or I'm going to keep going. And then you get to the next hard thing. And then eventually the hard things don't seem that hard because you've already moved mountains to get to where you were, right? So people always ask me, what's the hardest thing you did? I said, getting to the age of 17, Right. Getting just surviving was the hardest thing I ever did. Right. I was a kid and our house got uh, shot up during a drive by on Christmas night, on Christmas Eve, going into Christmas morning. And I can still remember the bullets, how they feel to fly across your head. Right. And I stood up and my cousin pulled me down to get on the floor and the bullets are flying. I can feel the heat of the bullet going across my head and so people ask me, what's the hardest thing you've done? Just surviving to that point. So what I do now, it's it's cake, right? It's it's not hard, right? It's not like someone's trying to kill me, right? Is it bad? Like, it, does debt suck? Oh, it sucks every single time. But the reality is, is what what is it gonna is it gonna kill you, right? If they don't get their money today, is it gonna kill you, right? The reality that people don't see is that whenever you're in debt, the people just want some money, right? So just ask them, how much can I pay you that you stop bothering me for a little bit? And that will take some <laughs> of the stress off of you, right? The, 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 and, and I think we need to sort of understand that, that everything can be a negotiation. You can figure things out, interest, whatever. Like the, think about just a real estate in general, right? If you have a tenant, that is not the only time you're really going to get upset is if they're paying zero, right? You can understand if they hit a rough patch and you're like, hey, you know, this month I, I can only pay you this. Well, if they're paying you something, right, it may not be all of it, but if they can at least cover majority of your expenses, you're okay. It's not like you're going to be super upset. And then they're upfront with you about it, right? So then now you're like, you know what? Actually, I kind of like this tenant. They don't really give me a hard time and they're very honest. I'm going to work with this tenant. The ones that you have a problem with and you're going to have a problem with are the people who won't say anything and they're ashamed of that debt. And they're like, well, I just can't pay you because you, you guess what? You already have money on this house. Like that, that's not bad. That's not good mentality either. Right. So like, but that's part of financial literacy and understanding, like, you know, there's good debt, there's bad debt and, and debt happens to us all. Right. I'm not debt free. I'll tell you that 100% not debt-free. I still have student loans. But I also know in one year, I can sign a contract that's either uh, that pays me 120 grand right on the spot, 
or I can go negotiate a contract with someone else to pay off my student loans right away. So I don't really care, to be honest, because I don't worry about what the public service uh, loan forgiveness is happening because I don't bank on someone else to come save me. I'd never had that. I'll save myself. Oh, I like that. I think that is a good place to end the bulk of our show. But David, we're not done yet. We still have our famous four. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. What is your favorite finance book? The Intelligent Investor. Ooh, Benjamin Graham? Benjamin Graham. Benjamin Graham. Uh, nice. It, that, that book I come back to, it sits by me. It's like my Bible. It's always near, somewhere near me. That is uh, that book I read all the time. What was your biggest money mistake? Man, I made a lot of them. Um, my biggest money mistake, there's a 1A and 1B. So the biggest one I made was the credit cards, right? Because when I got at the Naval Academy, I had all that credit card debt. I had no idea what credit was, like your credit score. And I had a 520 credit score and couldn't get an apartment. Like that was really terrible, right? Uh, so that's one. Uh, two was not understanding what a car meant to me and buying the wrong cars, right? So I bought a certified pre-owned Volvo coming out of Naval Academy because I was told that I couldn't afford a BMW and I needed to be sensible. And then that car, I spent, I uh, got a car loan. It was $18,000. I put another $12,000 into that car because of issues that I had with it, Right. And that was a money pit for me. So then I was like, well, and then I got rid of the car a couple of years later. I was like, looking back, I'm like, I don't really keep cars. Why am I doing this? I'm just going to lease them because guess what? They're new every single time. They should have low maintenance issues and I shouldn't have to be sinking money into it. It's a fixed cost for me now. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Invest in your present and then invest in your future. Okay. Keep both of those things in mind. Investing in your present is doing things that bring you immediate value back, right? So like, don't go skimp on that meal that gives actually gives you enjoyment if you love food, right? Actually go pay for that. Save in other places, right? And that's how you sort of keep that balance. And making sure that you live in a place that you're comfortable with, that you buy the things that you want that bring you joy and then save in other places. And then investing in your future is things like, don't be afraid. Yeah, student loans suck, but don't be afraid of them, right? Because if it turns out that student loan is your only way to leverage yourself and leverage your talent and time to get to a place that's going to have a enormous surrounding return, right? If your parents can't afford to pay for you to go to college, but guess what? You're smart enough to go to college and go get that master's degree in computer science, engineering, um, whatever, go get that MBA. Guess what? And you're salary coming out is in the six figures, that thing is going to return and pay dividends later in the future because now you have an extreme earning potential that you weren't counting on. What's your favorite joke to tell at parties? Man, I'm more of a uh, like a situational joker, you know what I mean? Like I, I need like to set up from other people. I know, I literally memorize zero jokes. And I just <laughs> I've got I, you. I yeah I, I I personally I, I'll listen to other people talk and then I'm like, I'll crack a joke off of that. But I'm not the, uh, I'm not Kevin Hart or anything like that. I can't do that. <laughs> I've got you. 
why do most surgeons, or I'm sorry, how do most surgeons get so wealthy? I don't know that one. They take a cut after every successful surgery. That is I didn't a true it was dad a good joke. joke. That is a true dad joke. Absolutely. I got to tell that one to my kids. I can't remember them from that aspect. And that, I'm, uh, yeah, I got to tell that one to my kids. I'm looking for more surgeon dad jokes. <laughs> Why did the string make a visit to the surgeon? He felt a knot in his stomach. <laughs> These See, are those terrible. Are quality dad, those are quality dad <laughs> jokes, right? Because dad jokes aren't supposed to be good. They're supposed to be terrible. So they're quality <gasps> dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, those are terrible. Um, okay, so I initially connected with you on Twitter where you are Surgify, S-U-R-G-I-F-I, right? Yes, where and else? someone sits on the that handle oh, since 2012. <laughs> and so I'm Sergi on Twitter, but Surgify, but- you can also find Oh, Fi Sergi. Okay, so yes. we will link to that in the show notes, but where can people find out more about you? Um, unfortunately, like if they just want to, if they Google my name, they're going to see stuff pop up. If, uh, they go to the Surgify website, S-U-R-G-I-F-I.com website, they'll, and go to about, they can find out a little bit more about my story. I also have a video on there telling them why I started Surgify in the first place. Then they can see that video either on, uh, Twitter or they can see the video on the website. I don't hang out on, I have an Instagram account. I don't really hang out on there. Uh, I like interacting with people and Twitter is like the way that I can interact with as many people and have as many conversations as possible. I like Twitter too, because I can use it on my computer instead of my phone, which I have terrible eyes. Yeah, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a camera, Instagram selfie person. It's not my thing. Yeah. Well, David, I really appreciate you taking the time out of Cutting Up Robots to come chat with us. Uh, This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed meeting you and I really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, that was Dr. David Roney from Surgify.com. I love his story. I hate parts of his story. And I am so admiring of his never give up, never quit, always move forward attitude. I think that is probably the number one reason for his success. The amount of drive that he has just sort of internally to keep pushing harder. Well, it's not only impressive, it kind of makes me feel like I'm a little too lazy. And it's it's so inspiring to see what he's been able to accomplish given, you know, setback after setback. And it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I really, really, really am excited for what the future holds for him. I'm super excited for that uh, affordable housing idea that he has. And I can't wait to see him bring that to success, just like everything else he's done has been successful. I have no doubt that he will also succeed in that as well. Um, This episode did run a little bit long. So, Doug, I think that we should get out of here. Let's get out of here. From episode 273 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Doug Cunnington, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, Gotta bolt, Colt. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. 
You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.